We just thank you for this time together in your house. I thank you for these folks that have come out tonight. And Lord, we uh, we do want to pray for the National uh, Day of Prayer event that will be going on all over our country tomorrow in uh, churches and other places. Um, and we just we just ask that the Spirit of God would just work through. Um, uh, those gatherings of believers as we come together to pray for unity in our country and we pray for revival to sweep over this land. Uh, Lord, we know that, um, uh, you know, the politicians, the educational institutions, the government, um, uh, the, the businesses of our country, are not able to solve the the real problems that we are facing with today. Um, That um, at the root of all of the other things that we see going on uh, is a moving away from you and uh, a rejection of you. And uh, we just, we we, want to come together as the body of Christ and and just seek your face and uh, humble ourselves before you and uh, pray that <clears throat> your hand would be upon this country and upon the people of this land. And Lord, draw us back to yourself. Lord, we pray for Steve tonight. We just ask that you'd be with him there in that hospital there in Tennessee. And um, uh, Lord, uh, we we pray that you'd be with the doctors there at Vanderbilt. And uh, Lord, just uh, find whatever it is that um, uh, Steve is dealing with at this point. Uh, and be able to take care of that. We pray for Wendy and Philip as they are traveling, that you would give them safe travel there. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that this will all work out um, uh, for good, for Steve, for Wendy, for the family, but also for your glory and honor. And we rejoice tonight in the fact that Will um, has uh, come home. Uh, Lord, we thank you. We are so grateful for the progress that uh, will is made and uh, lord we know there's nothing short uh, of an absolute miracle and only you could have done what uh, uh, has taken place in will's life and we praise you for that we just pray that you'll continue to be with him uh, in his recovery be with Teresa and charlie as they minister uh, to will and help him through this period of uh, recovery and just pray that day by day his strength will get stronger, and uh, Lord, that he will be able to get back to his normal self and his normal ways as soon as possible. We love you. Father, we pray that you would just speak to our hearts tonight as we continue discussing this whole issue of parenting and uh, how uh, we as parents can do a better job in raising those precious little ones uh, that you've given to us. And, uh, Lord, we know uh, that those children that we have who call us mom and dad, uh, Lord, we know that uh, as close as we are to them, as dear as they are to us, uh, that, Lord, we're really uh, just the, the stewards uh, of those children. You, you are the one that created them. You're the one that placed them in our hands to provide for, to protect, uh, to watch over, to raise. Um, and we, we just want to be faithful. We want to be responsible um, in the way we do that. And we want to do it in a way that brings the greatest glory and honor to you and ensures that those children and those youth that are under our care grow up to be men and women of God, spiritual champions who will themselves live for you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want you to take your Bible and open it to um, Ephesians um, chapter chapter 6. and tonight, I want to. I've entitled the message "Positive Parenting." Um, uh, I want to uh, talk about building up your child without tearing them down. Um, and that is a that's a boy. That's a tightrope sometimes, isn't it? A balancing act where you you want to um, uh, uh, make sure that 
your children are doing right. They're growing up uh, to, 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 to be on track with the Lord. And uh, when they get off track, when they veer, boy, it's uh, so hard or so, I, I, really so easy sometimes to just, um, uh, you know, uh, get, you know, um, negative uh, almost um, in our reaction and uh, what we want to talk about tonight is how can we build up our children without tearing them down? How can we um, be more positive in our role as parents um, as we try to raise spiritual champions for the Lord? So I begin by asking this question, are you a discourager of your children or are you an encourager? Um, your parenting style is either encouraging or it's discouraging. Um, uh, you can either look for the good in your child and just kind of naively overlook the bad, or you can always be looking at the bad and never commend your child for the positive, for the good. Um, I believe that God's Word teaches that we're to be positive in our parenting. Um, last week we talked about teaching our children a biblical worldview. Um, but I want you to understand, it's not enough just to teach our children the right message. We need to teach them in the right manner. Um, and that's what we want to look at tonight. If you've got your Bibles open then, um, uh, look in chapter 6 of Ephesians and look at what Paul says in verse 4. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Um, here we see Paul addressed um, fathers primarily, and you need to know, understand that the reason he says fathers here is that biblically the father was the head of the home, um, but it's applicable to both fathers and mothers. Um, you might could say he's just speaking to the parents, but because in that day the fathers were the, the leader of the home, or, or still are, but that's what he's addressing, the fathers, um, uh, but he's including the parents here. He says you can either beat your kids down. The point is you can either beat your kids down by staying on their case 24 hours a day or you can build your kids up. You can either discourage them or you can encourage them. Now, I believe that every parent in this room and every grandparent um, uh, wants to raise spiritual champions for God. I believe we all want to accomplish that. We all want that for our kids. However... In order to do that, we must not only communicate the right message, but we must do it in the right manner. So here's what I want you to take away from the message uh, tonight on positive parenting. And that is, if we want our children to become spiritual champions for God, we must not only teach them a biblical worldview, we must not only teach them the right message, but we must raise them in a positive manner. So what is the right manner for raising children? I want to give you five things that we must do um, uh, in order to be positive in our parenting. You could probably add a zillion other things to this list, but um, I just want to give you five. And we're, I don't even know if I'm going to have time to give you all five of these, but we're going to do the best we can. The first thing I would say to you is we need to be accessible to our kids. You know, it's so easy in today's world to think, if I just make a lot of money and have a lot of stuff, then I'll be considered successful. But think about this. If you're a success at your job and a failure at home, what does it matter? What does it matter if you're a success at work and a failure at home? King David was one of the most brilliant men to ever live. David was a great writer. We know that by reading the Psalms. 
He was a military genius. David was able to take a tribe of people and make them into a great nation. If you were to compile a list of who's who in the history of the world, David would definitely be at the top of the list. Um, David went from being a shepherd boy to king of Israel. And so in the eyes of the world, David would have been considered a huge success. Would we agree about that? Now, as a father, though, David failed miserably. If you go back and read 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18, we read where David's son, Absalom, led a rebellion against his father. When the message came that Absalom had died in battle, the scripture tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 18 verse 33, The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. You can hear the brokenness in David's heart. Um, uh, This is a man who experienced success in the world but had failed at home. David had failed his son because he gave Absalom everything but himself. I'm convinced that part of David's cry here is David is thinking about how much he had failed his son as a father. Um, He had given Absalom everything um, but his time. Um, uh, He was busy building a nation. He was busy going to meetings. He was busy with his staff. He was busy making decisions. He was an extremely busy man. But as a father, he failed because he never had time for his family. If you ask me what is the biggest enemy of parenting, I would tell you the busyness of parents. The busyness of our lives today. We are so busy. We all want to be good parents, to be there for our children. But we're busy. We have important things to do, meetings to attend, decisions to make, people to see. We give our children the idea that one day we'll have time. One day life will slow down and we'll spend more time with them. We'll do this or that, all the things they've asked us to do, get, go to their ball game or uh, take them on that weekend uh, uh, you know, trip out of town or go to um, you know, the movies with them or whatever it is, just spending time with them. Then we find ourselves always saying, son, Sweetheart, I just don't have time. I've got to get this project done. I've got to, you know, make this sale. And in the meantime, we give our kids the impression that we're not accessible. I love that old song Harry Chapin wrote years ago, The Cat's in the Cradle. I want you to look at the lyrics of this song. He says, my child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. Said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue. Y'all know how bad I want to sing this to you. But you don't want that, trust me. 
When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Well, he came from college just the other day, so much like a man, I just had to say. Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired and my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids got the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. You know, we'll have a good time then. And I want to ask you, what kind of example are you giving your children? Are you showing them that you're there for them, that you have time for them, that they're important? Listen to me closely. You will never have time for your children. You will never have time for your children. You will never have time for the most important people in your life unless you make time. Unless you make time. It doesn't just happen. You say, well, how do you know that? For the simple reason I am 63 years old and I'm still trying to find the time when I'm not busy. We're all busy. We've got one thing going on after another. And the very people who seem to get neglected the most are the people that we assume will understand the most. And we are wrong on both counts. We are wrong for neglecting them, and we are wrong to assume that they will understand. They don't understand. I am 63 years old, like I said, and I will tell you this. I grew up in a family with seven kids. My mom and dad were good folks. They, they you know, uh, loved us. But my dad sold insurance, and in that day, that's when insurance salesmen went to people's homes, and they did it late at night or at night after dinner when the, the, the man and the uh, wife were home after working all day. So therefore, while he was in somebody else's home selling insurance, he was out of our home, and we rarely saw him. Never get, came to many ball games or things like that because he was busy selling insurance, trying to provide for his family. We're all busy. We're all occupied with so many things. So if we're going to have a life with our family, if we're going to spend time with our children, then we're going to have to schedule them into our lives. We must make them a priority and let absolutely nothing take us away from that. We've got to be available. We've got to be accessible to our family. I remember when I was working on my doctorate, I was wearing so many hats at that time. <clears throat> I was um, a, a father, a, a husband, a new father, um, a pastor of a church, and a student. And I would be in uh, the um, uh, little office area of our home, uh, our little parsonage there in um, uh, Van, Texas, um, in the eastern, uh, eastern part of uh, the state, uh, close to Tyler at the First Baptist Church of Van. And <clears throat> I'd be working on my dissertation, trying to get that thing done, writing sermons, and doing the other things I need to do. And every time I looked up, there was this almost two-year-old little boy who was running into the room and would come around the desk and hold up his hands and say, Daddy, can you hold me? And 
boy, I would just, you know, right, maybe be in the middle of something, and I would just say, Trent, hold on just a minute or something, and he would stand there sometimes, and then I think he just kind of gave up, he'd walk away. Other times, I would reach down and pick him up. I was sharing this experience um, uh, at that time with uh, an older pastor, the man that married Nancy and I, and I told him, I said, Gary, he, he actually is retired he's pastoring in Waynesville in the northern part of, in the western part of North Carolina tonight um, but I told him I said Gary I said I don't I just don't have time to do all the things that I need to do and uh, I said and I shared with him about you know Trent coming in and wanting to jump up in my lap and I'm in the middle of working on it, and I've never forgotten what he said to me he said Rick every time that little boy comes running into your office and holds those arms up and says, Daddy, will you let me sit in your lap? You stop what you're doing and put him in your lap. He says, here's why. There will be a day quicker than you think is coming when he will be too big to get in your lap, nor will he want to. You need to take advantage of those opportunities now. And I'm telling you, I learned a lot of things in seminary, but that right there is what made me, and I'm not saying I was perfect, Nancy will tell you, but that's what made me put my family and my kids above everything else in my ministry over these years is because I realized they weren't going to be there forever. And one thing I wanted them to remember is that they were accessible. Now, she, on the other hand, took that little boy fishing with her when I was working on my doctorate every Friday. Now, I have to tell a funny story on her. She's fishing one day. She's got Trent on her hip. She's got her fishing pole in her hand. I'm with her on this day. And she, <laughs> she's holding Trent, and she catches a fish. It's about a pound and a half bass now anybody who knows nancy knows she loves to fish okay she catches this fish i'm on the other side of the lake it's not a big lake but i'm on the other side and she goes i've got a fish on the end of my line and i got a baby on my hip and i can't decide which one i need to let go of <laughs> when i couldn't be with him she would take him fishing I'm just saying, listen, one of the things that we need to do with our kids is we need to be accessible. We need to find time with them or they're going to grow up one day and they're going to be like the son in Harry Chapin's song and they're going to be just like that and they're not going to have time for us when we didn't have time for them. So that's the first thing I want you to understand tonight. What are you leaving your children? What kind of memory are you leaving them? Will they remember you as being accessible? Or will they think, the only time I got to spend with my parents was when they didn't have anything else important to do. Um, choose to make your family a priority. Um, I believe God honors that. All right, number two. Um, we must be available. Second, we must be accepting. The greatest need in your child's life is to feel accepted. You see, our greatest needs are internal needs, and your children are looking at you. They're counting on you to meet those deep needs, those internal needs in their lives. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. In other words, the way we talk, the words we use have the power of life and death. What does that mean? Simply, you can speak words to your children that will either cause them to want to live or to die. Do you know that? That the number one cause for suicide among children and youth is not drugs. The number one cause of suicide among children and youth are troubles and problems with their parents. Let that one register for just a moment. 
our kids are committing suicide, the number one reason is because of bad relationships with their parents, how they feel on the inside, whether or not they feel loved and accepted. Let me ask you this. Is your child's identity intact? Do they, do they show that they understand that they are accepted, that they're important, that they believe that they are special in your eyes? Um, I want to mention three isms that you should always avoid in raising children. Now, I want to be quick to say I've taken liberty with the English language here, um, but hear me good on these things. The first ism to avoid is what I call comparism. What I mean by that is showing favoritism or partiality. Comparing your child with somebody else's child or comparing one of your children with another of your children. Don't do that. Our children are different. They're not the same. Don't ever compare one child with another. Culture teaches that our kids are valuable if they do certain things, if they are physically attractive or if they're athletic, if they have talent in this area or that area, then they're valuable. However, can I just say a child is valuable, period? Amen? A child is special regardless. Every child is a gift from God. And a blessing from God. And each child is unique. And we're to recognize that. Don't ever compare your children with each other or with other children. That's the first thing. That's the first ism to avoid. Comparism. Second. The second ism that I would recommend you avoid is what I call performism. By that I mean... I will love you if you meet certain expectations and requirements. If you do what I want you to do, if you make certain grades, I will shower you with approval and acceptance. If you do good, I will reward you. If you, if you do good and you obey me, I will love you. Friend, here, love and acceptance is conditional, and that is unbiblical. At least that's how it comes across to the child, that it's conditional. So sadly, no matter what that child does, it is never enough. And I'll go on record to say performance-based love and acceptance is legal child abuse. Because what you're doing is you're making your child think that the only way that they can be loved is if they measure up to certain expectations. And they ought to live up to certain expectations, but they ought to never think that that's the only way they'll be loved. You know what you're doing? You're creating doubt in them as if God the Father would ever love them unconditionally. Um, and that is the last thing we want to do as parents. Um, to do that, to, 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 to put performance demands on our children destroys their confidence. It damages their self-esteem. If you love and approve of your children based on their performance, you're going to permanently damage their self-image. You're going to... Um, uh, and I might add, more importantly, um, uh, they will always struggle with whether God accepts them or whether God loves them. Performism. The third ism is what I call perfectism. Now, what I mean here is that no matter how good your child is, it is never good enough. No matter how good your child is, it is never good enough. I read about a young girl who took her own life. This young girl was an A-plus student 
She was a valedictorian. She was head cheerleader. She was an all-round good kid. In the note she left, she simply said, no matter what I did, I could never meet my mother's expectations. Avoid perfectism. Avoid performism. Avoid comparism. Um, at all cost, each of your children were shaped and molded by the hand of God, and you and I cannot improve on that. Amen? I like what the psalmist said. Um, in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, he says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Mom, Dad, your child is special. Regardless, your child is special. Make sure that your family, your children, know that they are special, that they are accepted by you, and they will, in turn, feel accepted by God. Acceptance is the number one cry of a child. Whether it's a little baby, a preschooler, or an adolescent, they each crave acceptance, especially from their parents. That's how they get their security. They want to hear those words, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're my flesh and blood, you're a part of me, therefore you're important to me, you are special. They want to hear that. Every child wants to know that they are important in their parents' eyes. And I'm telling you, if that need is not met, they will go elsewhere to seek that approval and that acceptance. Your children are not going to be all alike. They will have different personalities. They're going to have different tastes. They're going to have different interests. One child may be smarter than the other one. Uh, one child may be more gifted athletically, or they may just be average. They may just be average academically or average athletically. Either way, we must show them and encourage them that they are special and that we accept them the way they are. Um, our acceptance and our approval is huge in raising spiritual champions for God. Your child is silently screaming on the inside, correct me, discipline me, get on to me, scold me, shape me, teach me, do whatever you have to do. However, don't forget to let me know that I am special, that you accept me the way I am. That's the second um, thing. We must be available. We must be accepting. Third, we must be affectionate. I thank God for parents who are constantly showing affection to my uh, five brothers and my sister and me. My family, uh, we were huggers. Um, uh, we, were, we kissed all the time. Um, uh, my dad and mom were always saying, I love you. Um, uh, my dad... Um, uh, was a macho man, but my dad raised six boys, and to the day he died or the day he could no longer stand up, if he saw us, he would come up, hug us, and uh, give us a peck on the lips and say, I love you. He didn't care if anybody was watching. It was just his way. He was one of the most affectionate men I've ever known, and yet he was one of the hardest men I've ever known as well. He knew affection and he knew how to show it to his children. Before your child will ever receive affection, though, they must be convinced that they are accepted. Acceptance is the foundation we build everything else on. Every child wants to feel treasured. Every child wants to feel special. And when they do, they will also feel loved. So I can say I love my child all day long, but if they don't feel that I accept them, then the words are just going to be empty words to them. They want to know first that they've, uh, they're accepted. And so when we say we love them, that just reinforces our acceptance of them. It's not I will love you if, but I will love you regardless. 
Never, never, never put a price on your affection. Don't ever put a price on your affection. And remember this. When kids are at their worst, they need their parents' love the most. They always need our love. They need to know that no matter what happens in their life, no matter where they go or what they do, even if they get locked up in jail, they get pregnant out of wedlock, it will not affect your love for them. I love the story of the prodigal son and the father's reaction at the son's return home after going off into the far country to live in rebellion. The scripture tells us in Luke 15 verse 28, And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Parents, let your child know this one thing. No matter what, I will always love you. No matter what, I will always love you. I might be disappointed in things that you might do, um, but I will always love you. Nothing will change my love for you. Let them understand your love is unconditional, and on that they can be certain. I love you today, and I always will regardless and let them hear that often Um, we've got to show our kids affection and we've got to express it often one way you can do that is to learn your child's love language Um, know what speaks love to your son or your daughter know what it is that says loudly to them I love you with one child it may be you return from a business trip or you're just you're out and you see something and you purchase it and you take it home and you present that daughter or that son with this small gift and all of a sudden they just go nuts you've just said without saying a word how much you love them another another child it may be just that um, you just say hey let's go for a ride or let's go fishing for the day or let's go um, have lunch together that says volumes that you're important to me and I love you I want to spend time with you one it may just be they just want to you know they just want to hug they just want to kiss they just want to you know they may just want to sit in your lap and just be content to just be near you another maybe they just want to they just want to share all the things that happened on the playground today. And, and you're, you know, the last thing you want to hear is every little, you know, tidbit that happened out there on the playground. But there, you're sitting there listening and you're acting like you're really interested. And you're sending a message. You're important to me. And I love you enough. I want to hear what's going on in your life. Let our kids know. Don't hold back the affection um, uh, that our kids are Uh, seeking and longing for well number four um, be affirming Uh, listen the way you teach is just as important what you teach as I've said a couple of times already tonight if you want to be a successful teacher to your children you need to model what you teach and teach it in a positive manner Solomon writes Proverbs chapter 16 verse 21 He says, the wise of heart is called discerning and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Now, what is he saying? He's saying the more positive you are in your approach to your teaching method, the better it will be received. Um, You can teach your kids one of two ways. You can either be negative all the time, screaming, fussing, nagging, criticizing when they don't do it just right. And and you can just be constantly on them, harping um, uh, on them. Or you can be positive, pointing out the good over the bad, building them up and um, using um, a more positive strategy. I believe the Word of God says the latter way we'll get better results let me give you an illustration a company had an end of the year banquet and they were going to give the two top two salesmen an award but they did, did it in a different fashion to prove a point they sent the two men out of the banquet room out of the room the, where they were meeting 
And uh, while they were standing out there, the, the, the people in the room took all the chairs and the tables and they just, you know, put them in a maze, kind of. They rearranged the tables and the chairs and created a maze. Well, they went out, they got the first salesman, and they blindfolded him and brought him back in the room. And they instructed him to find his way through the maze to the other side of the room. Well, as he began, he was just feeling his way. And when he would make a wrong turn, he would feel a slap on his back. When he made a right turn, there was nothing. Nobody said anything. Nobody did anything. Well, every time he made a wrong turn, he felt this slap on his back. He made a right turn. He didn't know whether he was making a right turn or not. Nothing. No response whatsoever. It took him seven and a half minutes to work his way through the little maze that they had created. And when he got to the end, he was not a happy camper. He was quite upset. He'd been slapped on the back, and nobody was encouraging him how to work his way through the maze. So they go out. Get the second guy, put a blindfold on him, bring him in. Well, this time they changed their strategy. So this time the guy starts, and when he made a wrong turn, they didn't do anything. They didn't respond. They didn't take any action. They didn't say anything. When he made a right turn, everybody in the room would take their spoon, and they would hit the side of their glass as if they were applauding him for making a right turn. It took the second guy only 90 seconds to work his way through the maze. And when he got through, he had a different attitude. He was happy. And he had a smile on his face. Now, what was the difference? It was the manner in which they used with each of the two men. One was negative. The only response the first guy got was a slap on the back when he didn't do what he was supposed to do. We made a wrong turn. The second guy, his response was positive. He got the tapping of the glass with a spoon to let him know he had made the right turn, the right decision. So I say all that to say, what kind of strategy are you using with your children? Is your strategy more negative or is it more positive? Friend, positive affirmation is better than negative criticism. Don't fall into the trap of just harping on your kids' mistakes. A lot of parents get into this negative trap of always bringing up what the child is doing wrong rather than talking positively about what they're doing right. Try to catch your children doing something right and praise them for it. Be positive. Be affirming. What you don't want to produce is a home with a negative environment. Amen? You want to be an encourager. You want to be your child's biggest cheerleader. You want to be on your child's team, not on their back. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's a principle every parent needs to learn. If your child is mourning, mourn with them. Identify with them. Let your child know you've been there. You know what it's like to be hurt. You know what it's like to have made mistakes. You know what it's like to have failed. You know what it's like to have been taken advantage of. Then when they're rejoicing, rejoice with them. I don't care what it is they're rejoicing over. It may be nothing that you think is important, but it's big to them. Rejoice with them. Let them know that you want to celebrate their victories and their achievements. So we should weep when our children are sad and when they're hurting. We should celebrate with them when they're happy and rejoicing. Acceptance says, I'm proud of you. Affirmation says, I'm pleased with you. You remember in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, where God the Father said about his son, Jesus, this is my son 
whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Friend, our children need to hear the same from us. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. And notice, God the Father said that about Jesus where others could hear it. You need to say that about your kids in the company of people all the time. Not just in the quietness of your home or the privacy of your home. They need to hear you say that about them in front of other friends and other parents. Um, That will affirm them like nothing else. Um, We need to be affirming um, to our children. Our children need to hear um, uh, that we are pleased uh, with them. Well, number five, we need to be approachable. On one occasion in the ministry of Jesus, Matthew records in Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14. It's up there on the screen. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. You see, the disciples were saying, get these kids out of here. Can't you see Jesus is busy? But not the Lord. He wanted them to be brought to him. And in this incident, he shows that he is approachable, even to the littlest ones. They were not an interruption to his ministry. They were his ministry. Parents, you and I need to send the same message to our kids. They are not an interruption to our life. They are our life. They are not an interruption to our life. They are our life. Because you're my child, you are never an interruption. I am approachable regardless of what I am doing. Regardless of who I might be with at the time, regardless of whether I'm in a meeting, whether I'm on the road, whatever I may be doing, I am available, I am approachable, and I want you to know that regardless of anything else, you are important enough that you can approach me about anything. I love the story of President John F. Kennedy, who during a meeting at the White House on one occasion got down on the floor and began playing with his son, John John. Right there in the Oval Office, right there with other important people in the room, um, the president gets down on the floor and plays with his son, John John. President Eisenhower did the same thing on occasion. He would leave a cabinet meeting and go out on the White House grounds to the lawn to play with a grandchild. Now, what were these two powerful men saying by their actions? Even though I've reached the top in the eyes of the world, there is nothing more important to me than my child. All these other people may be able to approach me, but nobody has the freedom and the liberty to approach me like my child, like my son, like my daughter, like my grandchild. Um, You see, if we're approachable, it means we're inviting. We're sending a message to our kids that regardless of what I'm doing, you are able to approach me. You're able to, if you need my time, if you need my attention, I'm here. I'm not going to be defensive or uh, um, I am interested in what you uh, uh, need and what you want. Um, uh, so um, if you're approachable, you take the time to talk to your kids, you take the time to um, uh, give them your attention, you listen. You have time um, for them. Um, Communication is the lifeblood of relationships. And parents, I have a newsflash for you. If you don't talk to your kids about the little stuff that's going on in their life, the common everyday things they face at school or um, the things that are happening on the playground with their friends, they will not talk to you about the big things in their life because they will feel that you don't care. You've set a pattern. So let your child know you're approachable. 
then let them know that you are willing to listen to whatever it is on their heart. With your ears, with your eyes, with your heart. You see, kids light up when parents get interested in what is happening in their life. Have you ever noticed that? How kids just, they just light up when they see that mom or dad is really interested in what um, they're trying to share. Um, so good parenting offers a safe, secure harbor called home. A special place where kids know that no matter how rough it is out there in the world or what happens to them out there in the world at school, down the block in the neighborhood, when they get picked on by the other kids, there is a place called home where they are loved, they are accepted, they are approved of, and where they are important part of that family they know that that is a place where they'll be heard it's a place where they'll be hugged it's a place where they'll be helped it's a place where they'll be held and every child needs that that's where we get our identity let your home be such a place Nancy and I have a room up above our garage it's turned into a uh, exercise room. It used to be my old office. And there's a picture that used to hang there when it was my office, and I just left it hanging there. It's a picture of a little boy. He's got his hands in his back pockets. He's got blue jeans on, a red and white striped shirt, blonde hair. He's looking out. He's standing on the beach in the sand. He's looking out at the ocean. And you can't really see his face. You just see the back of him. But under the picture are these words. A hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove. But the world may be different because I was important in the life of a child. Parents, if we want our children to become spiritual champions for God, we must seek to raise them in a positive manner. We must let them know that they are the most important thing in our lives. So I suggest to you, if you want to change your parenting style and be more positive in your approach to your children, be available, be accepting, be affectionate, be affirming, and be approachable, and it will go a long way in us raising spiritual champions for God. Amen.